Well, good evening, everyone. It's so good to be back with you again, and uh, thank you so much for the warm welcome. I, I say a warm welcome. I wasn't really welcomed back with an easy passage, because the passage we're going to look at tonight is Genesis chapter 22. At the top of my Bible, uh, it sort of, for the different sections and the different stories and accounts that it has in it, it often has these little titles, and for the title of this passage is Abraham Tested. But maybe that doesn't give you the full picture of what this passage is about because as we'll come to learn this is the story of Abraham and Isaac and all that goes on there so we're going to take time in a few moments just to read through Genesis chapter 22 together and understand a little bit more and refresh ourselves with the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22. This follows as part of a series that I know you've been doing which is looking at clues to Christ so we'll be looking at this passage and through that lens as well. So I have four points for you tonight. I don't want you to panic. Ross was very, very clear to me that I should only speak for 20 minutes. That might be because I think the week before he said that I'd spoken at church and ended up speaking for 40 minutes accidentally. Didn't realize. Got carried away with myself. So he's definitely got me made very, very clear. 20 minutes, four points to cover in that time. And the four points I want to look at, if you try and remember these, the first one is an elephant. The second one is a promise. The third one is a test, and the fourth one is a drama. So an elephant, a promise, a test, and a drama. Okay, that's what we're going to cover tonight. So let's take some time to read God's Word together, Genesis chapter 22. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, and we'll take time to read down to verse 19. Genesis 22, and this is what the Word of God says. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder, and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand, and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, 
in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven a second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. And a reading there just at verse 19. These are the words of God. Let's just take a moment to pray to God and ask for his blessing upon our time together. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that you haven't only left your word with us, but you've also left your spirit with us to help and guide us as we come to your word together. Father, I pray that as we look afresh at this story, that your spirit will will work in us, work through me as I share from your words, but also work in all of those who hear this word. Father, we pray that in this difficult passage, we may come to a greater sense of who you are, that we'll have the same understanding of of how much trust that Abraham had in you, that he was prepared to go and answer the call that you gave him. Father, I pray that you will answer our prayer in that, that you will help us to see you afresh through Abraham's eyes tonight. And Father, maybe if there is somebody here that doesn't yet know you, Father, we pray that your spirit will come alongside them and and point them of their sin and point them to their need of a saviour. So Father, be with us tonight as we look at these words. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis 22, my Bible titled Abraham Tested, but when we dig into the detail of it, it's a lot more surprising than just the title Abraham Tested. What has happened in this passage? Well, in a nutshell, God tells Abraham to take his son to a mountain to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Quite a shocking statement, isn't it? To sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Abraham then goes to the mountain with his son Isaac, and at the very last moment, literally when the blade is in the air, God says, stop. And God provides a ram, a ram being a male lamb to be sacrificed instead. And Abraham, as it says, calls that place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And as a result of that, God blesses Abraham. So in a nutshell, that's what the story is about. But returning then to the four points that I mentioned at the beginning, an elephant, a promise, a test, and a drama. The first one is an elephant. You might be thinking, there's a ram in this story. There doesn't seem to be an elephant. So what is this about? Well, I'm saying an elephant because you may have heard the term an elephant in the room. The term an elephant in the room means that like, if you say that there's an elephant in the room, you mean that there is an obvious problem or a difficult situation that people do not want to talk about. And in a way, this being a difficult passage, God asking a man to sacrifice his son could be described as just that. It does feel a little bit like an elephant in the room. And I think we should acknowledge that there's an elephant in the room in this passage, not literally in this room, but an elephant in the room when it comes to thinking about this passage because it is a difficult passage. And there are a few more challenging passages in Scripture than that moment when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And you may have heard this story. I'm going to share it um, anyway. And, and, and maybe some of you might might know who Thomas Jefferson is. He was one of the founding fathers of the United States of America. And in 1819 to 1820, he created his own Bible. 
Now note that I say he created his own Bible. He didn't translate his own Bible. He created his own Bible. And he called it the Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth, or often it's now known as the Jefferson Bible. And it's infamous because it is a cut-and-paste Bible. Literally, it's a cut-and-paste Bible. He went through the New Testament, and he used a razor to cut out passages from the New Testament, and he stuck them all together to make his Bible. But that might not seem to be an odd thing to do. Maybe he was just sort of making a bit of an abridged version so he could take on his travels. But no, it was more than kind of a scrapbook of his favourite passages. He removed deliberately miraculous or supernatural things within the New Testament in order to just leave the life and teachings of Jesus behind. You see, he didn't feel comfortable with having the miraculous and the supernatural. All that he wanted was the life and teachings of Jesus. He wanted to skip those bits and move on and just think about the the bits that he wanted to put into the scripture. That was a wrong thing to do, very clearly taking that out of context and ignoring the miraculous nature of Jesus' life. And I'm not suggesting that any of us would get to our Bibles at home and just cut out the bits of scripture um, that we like and keep those. But at times, whenever we come to different passages in scripture, we may be quick to jump over them. We may be quick to skip them. Maybe there are different verses or passages that come out. Maybe it's not because we find them a difficult passage, but maybe we find them quite tricky in order to wrap our heads around. So I'm not saying that we would do what he did, but sometimes we do tend to just skip over passages. And maybe one of this, those passages that we might skip over is this, the story of Abraham being told by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. But it's my prayer that we will see this passage from a completely fresh perspective, because it is more than that. And that's why I say it's also a test, and it's also a drama. But it's those two things because of a promise. So we've had the elephant, and now we're going to think of a promise, and then afterwards a test and a drama. So what about this promise? Well, we know in Scripture that Abraham is childless, and his wife Sarah isn't able to have any children. And in Genesis 12, God says this, The Lord said to Abraham, that was his name before, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So there's a promise made to Abraham, soon to be Abraham, back there in Genesis chapter 12. And that is then fulfilled in Genesis chapter 21, the chapter just before the passage that we're looking at tonight. And in Genesis chapter 21, God provides a son, Isaac, to um, Abraham. You see, God always keeps his promises. So God had kept his promise to give him a son. And the promise then went on to say that he will be a great nation. So clearly there's a promise there, not only that he would have a son, but that he would have lots of sons and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so on and so forth and create this great great nation. So there's a promise there that is kept. God provides a son. And it's important that we know that because Abraham knew that as well. Abraham knew that God had made that promise that he will be made a great nation and people will be blessed through his line as a result of that. But it's also a promise that points forward. It's not just a promise that pointed to the fact that God would fulfill and give Abraham a son. It's also a promise that points forward. 
because it says one day all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And actually, that's in chapter 21, but even in chapter 22, it repeats it again. Chapter 22, verse 18 says this, And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And that's a promise that God will fulfill. So God will fulfill the promise to give Abraham a son. Abraham knew that. But also, there's a promise as well. Another promise that God will fulfill that we'll come back to a little bit later as we look at this passage together. So we thought about the elephant. We thought about this promise, this promise of God that Abraham will be made a great nation. And he that is answered by God providing a son, Isaac. But it's important that we just remember the rest of that promise, that a great nation would be given to Abraham as a result of that, which then brings us on to a test. And from the bit, the previous bit, that idea of a promise, we know that Abraham knew God. He knew his God. He was in a solid relationship with him. And we even see that in Genesis 18, verse 25, because Abraham has this phrase, which I think is fantastic, which says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? That's how much he knows God, and that's how much he trusts God, because he believes the judge of all the earth will do what is right. I wonder if you ever tried to delete something. could be a photo, or maybe a social media account, or a web page, or a document. Whenever you go to delete it, often it will say things like, do you really want to delete this? So you almost you get another question. And then you might try and delete it again, and then they'll say, are you sure because you can't recover this? Oftentimes, if you're trying to delete a social media account, it's a wee bit like that. It gives you all these, they really want to keep you, and so they give you all these reasons to try and stay. Or even sometimes whenever you've deleted it, it says, okay, we've scheduled it for deletion, and you can still cancel it over the next two weeks. Like that happened to me. I wanted to delete a page on a website. And it told me that, okay, you've deleted it, but we're going to keep it just to be extra sure that you definitely want to delete it. We're not going to get rid of it for a couple of weeks. And even like things like files on your computer, you delete something, it doesn't vanish straight away. It goes into your recycle bin. And there then you have to go to there to try and delete it. Now, why am I mentioning all of this? Well, there are lots of times given in order whenever things could be stopped. There's this kind of list of these different things that you have to work through in order to finally do the thing that you're intending to do. And in a way, in this passage, we get a sense of that as well. Because when we think of the test that takes place, Abraham being tested by God, it's important to reflect on the time that takes place. Because if you look at verse 3, it says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, so already a day has passed since the request from God has been made. So early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering. So not only has a night passed, but he's also had to go and um, gather this wood, cut up this wood for the burnt offering. And then, goes on, more time passes. He set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, so now three days, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Jumping down to verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. That's him handing it over to help Isaac carry it up to the mountain uh, where he is to be sacrificed. And it says, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Again, more time has passed. The wood is being set on his son so the son can carry it. More time is being passed. 
Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there. So now, literally, taking lots of time, don't know how many hours it would have taken to build this altar to God there and arrange the wood on it. He bound his son again, more time passing, to wrap his son up and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. When you go through that, getting that sense of that time passing, a wee bit like trying to delete a file, a social media account, a web page, a document. There were so many opportunities all through that, that Abraham could have said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. But despite all that time passing, as he was cutting that wood, he was still sure that he was going to fulfill what God had asked him to do. As he even puts the wood onto his son so his son can carry it up, he still has the opportunity to say stop, but he doesn't say stop. Even walking then out with his son up and building that altar, again, more opportunity as brick by brick was set, or stone by stone probably was set to create the altar. Abraham had another and another opportunity to say no, but he didn't. Even to the point where he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, Abraham had the opportunity to stop, but he didn't. He had the opportunity to say no, but he didn't. And because of that, he passed the test. In all of that, all the different tests, those many tests that took place as part of this big test, he was still determined to do what God had asked him to do. Now, that's a strange thing to say, but what do we have to remember? Abraham knew God. So there's more to it than that. Abraham knew God, and because he knew God, he was prepared to do this. Brick by brick, stone by stone going on the altar, he was prepared to do it because he knew his God. As he cut the wood before, he was prepared to do it because he knew his God. As he bound his son up, he was prepared to do it because he knew his God. And even when he raised the blade to his son, he was prepared to do it because he knew his God. You see, Abraham obeyed God's unexpected command because he trusted God's promise. The promise that we've already touched on, the promise that he would have a nation. He trusted God's promise and he knew him to be good and trustworthy. Abraham knew that God always keeps his promises, and we know that God always keeps his promises, and that God is always good. And so we see from this passage that Abraham trusted God. And you can actually see that in verse 5 and verse 8. In verse 5 it says this, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then I will come back to you. And that's not what it says. Because if it said that, the boy and I will go away, and then I will come back to you. That would be the sense that, you know, he's away to sacrifice his son, and then only he will return. It doesn't say that in verse 5. It says, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Then we will come back to you. Abraham trusts God. He is so sure that God always keeps his promises that he is prepared to go knowing that God always keeps his promises and that he and the boy will return back again. And even verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Because as Isaac starts to question what's going on, you know, we've got the fire, we've got the wood, but where is the sacrifice, where is the lamb? Abraham answers, knowing his God and trusting his God, he said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You see, he trusted God, Abraham trusted God because he knew God. 
And we actually see this expanded on in the book of Hebrews. And often it's said that the New Testament is the best commentary on the Old Testament. The New Testament is the best commentary on the Old Testament. And so we can look to the book of Hebrews and the writer to the Hebrews talks about this very passage. And my Bible is entitled Faith in Action. And in verse 17 and 19, it's 17 to 19, it says this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Let me read that again, just so that we're very, very clear on what the commentator, the author of the Hebrews, is writing about here. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac and your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from life. You see, God or Abraham knew God and trusted God. He trusted God because he knew God always keeps his promises. And the writer of the Hebrews says exactly that. He, he did it. He went to sacrifice his son, even though he knew that God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So because that promise was made, Abraham knew that God would keep his promise, that Isaac would still be the offspring that will be reckoned. And he, then the passage goes on, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So there's a sense there from that passage that Abraham knew that even if he was to do, to sacrifice his son, that because God had made a promise to him, that because of his son, a great nation would be reckoned as a result, because of all of that, he was prepared to do it. Because he trusted and he knew God, that even if the the blade had gone into his son, he knew that God would be able to raise him back from the dead in order to keep his promise. That was how much he trusted God, because he knew God always keeps his promises. And there's a lesson there, actually, in that for us. Do we trust God because we know God and know that God always keeps his promises? It's important that we do understand our God. We know that he is good and trustworthy so that whenever we see the promises of the Bible laid out before us, that we can trust in them. Even when the world around us looks like God isn't keeping his promises, we know that we can trust God because he always keeps his promise, even when other things look like he won't. Just like Abraham trusted God, that he would always keep his promises, even when things didn't look like he would, he was prepared to always do it. And we, whatever trials we face in life, we must do the same that even when it doesn't look like it, we should always trust God and trust in his promises that are found in his word. So we thought a little bit about the elephant. We thought a little bit about the promise. We thought a little bit about a test. And then the final one is a drama. And this is where we really get a sense of the clues to Christ as this little series is all about. So why am I saying it's a drama? Well, you can almost see in verse 10 and 11 when it says, Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. There's a sense that it's almost like a drama there, isn't it? Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son and cut. And then God steps in and says, Abraham, Abraham. 
You see, throughout the Bible, God asked prophets to act out things that he said he would do. Just like a drama, God asked prophets to act out things that he said he would do. And the acts themselves are a lot less strange when you think about them like that, when you see them in that light, when you see that God asked prophets to act out things that he said he would do. I'll give you a few examples from an author. Just as God called the prophet Hosea to act the part of God in marrying a prostitute and told Ezekiel to lie on his side for over a year to symbolize the siege of Jerusalem. Those two passages, Hosea 1 and Ezekiel 4, both of those passages we see God is asking his prophet to act something out like a drama so it would have more of a meaning. Prophet Hosea was to marry a prostitute. Ezekiel was to lie on his side for over a year. Both of those things to symbolize and to speak to us about our understanding of God. And Genesis 22 is another one of those things. It's another time whenever a prophet of God is asked to act out things that God said he would do. So Genesis 22, in a way, we've covered all these different things, but it's also a drama. And in one way, we can look at it as Jesus being Isaac and God the Father being Abraham. So Jesus is Isaac and God the Father is Abraham. And an author says this, this, both Isaac and Jesus are long-awaited beloved sons who are born in miraculous circumstances. You can see the parallels between them both, between Jesus and Isaac. Both Isaac and Jesus are long-awaited beloved sons who are born in miraculous circumstances. Jesus born of a virgin and then uh, Abraham uh, born but sons carry, or sorry, Isaac born of a woman who wasn't able to have children. But both sons also, interestingly, carry the wood that is to be the instrument of their deaths on their back. You think of whenever Isaac is climbing that mount with all the wood on his back up to be sacrificed. There's a picture there, isn't there, of Jesus carrying the cross on the way up to a mount to be sacrificed. So many parallels between these two people. And in both stories, the father leads the son up a mountain. And the son follows obediently toward his own death. And in both scenarios, God provides the sacrificial substitute, which Abraham says will be a ram, which is a male lamb. And the New Testament authors identify as Jesus, the lamb of God. So it's amazing there that authors pointing out how there's so many parallels between these two people, Jesus and Isaac. So that speaks to us of so many things. But Isaac, the willing son, representing Jesus in the story, and then Abraham stands in for God the Father in this story. And really the big thing that comes out to me from that is the obedience of the son. Isaac prepared to follow his father up the mount, but Jesus prepared to follow his father up the mount, both to be sacrificed. There's obedience there. It reminds me of a passage in scripture, Hebrews 12 verse 2, where it says, for the joy set before him he endured the cross. Jesus was prepared to be obedient to his father because he knew the joy that was set before him as a result of following his father in obedience. So Jesus is Isaac and God the father is Abraham. So that's one lens we can view this drama through. But there's actually another lens that we can view this passage through, this drama through. And that is, I suppose, in the second part of the account, which is that Jesus is the ram. And that we are Isaac. So we've had Jesus as Isaac and God the Father as Abraham in the first part. But now we have Jesus as the ram and we are Isaac. 
You see, Isaac represents us because Isaac was spared. So in this part of the story, the ram represents Jesus. Literally, instead of Isaac being the one to be sacrificed, the ram or the male lamb is being sacrificed. And we know that Jesus, as our lamb, is the one that was sacrificed in our place. So in Jesus, God brings his own promised son into death and through it, just like God spares Isaac, God spares humanity because he takes the cross on himself. It's that amazing great exchange that happens in this story. That story is, it's a prophetic drama. It's pointing forward, as I touched on uh, toward the beginning. It's pointing forward this drama, a prophetic drama of what God would one day accomplish through one of the descendants of Abraham and Isaac, that being Jesus. Genesis 22 verse 2 says this, Sacrifice him there, this is God speaking to Abraham, Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And in the Old Testament we know that a burnt offering is for atonement, that being that it's it's to atone for our sins. So by us sacrificing the sacrifices that happened in the Old Testament, it was a demonstration of of, of, of people being prepared to fix their relationship with God, and it was only through the sacrifice that that was demonstrated through. But we can also say that, and we can also look at that through the eyes, not of the ram in this story, but of the lamb, capital T and capital L, the lamb that is Jesus. Through Jesus' sacrifice, we have that atonement, we have that burnt offering for sin, because it's through Jesus' sacrifice, taking on our sin on himself, that he is able to fix our relationship with God forever and ever. I said that the New Testament is the best commentary on the Old Testament. We can see that again in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, because it says there, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And there's a sense there of, of how Jesus himself is the one that God has put in, in our place. Just in the same way as the ram was put in place of Isaac, Jesus himself is put in the place of us, the the punishment that we deserve. And then Romans goes on to say, Paul goes on to say, verse 38 and 39, that amazing passage, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm sure you've watched the Olympics before and you maybe, or maybe other athletic events, um, and you've seen the hurdle races. And that's when somebody runs, then every so often they have to jump over a hurdle. Then they run a bit more and they jump over another hurdle. Then they run a bit more and they jump over another hurdle. Well, often those are all the same size, aren't they? They're all the same size. But it's interesting that in this passage, the first hurdle is actually the biggest. It doesn't kind of start small and work its way up to greater and greater hurdles. It actually starts with a huge hurdle at the very beginning of this passage. For I am convinced that neither death, death, nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any other powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You see, it's through Christ Jesus' death and resurrection that God's love for us is demonstrated. And God's love for us is like an unstoppable force. You think of that person hopping over each one of those hurdles. Well, now think of God hopping over the first hurdle, the greatest hurdle of all, death, which was defeated through his son. 
and, and goes over life, angels, demons, present, future, any powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all creation. God's love is unstoppable for us, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That unstoppable love, that unstoppable force that is our God is demonstrated to us in its real sense through Jesus' death and resurrection. I said that the story is a prophetic drama of what God would one day accomplish through one of their descendants, one of Abraham and Isaac's descendants, that is Jesus. And he did do that. He was the one who fulfilled this drama. The drama points forward to Jesus. It's a clue to Christ. Romans chapter 4 verse 5 says this, However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Again, they're highlighting the fact that we are given righteousness because of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's that promise that pointed forward that we had in this passage that one day, this is in Genesis 21, one day all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And in Genesis 22, verse 18, and through your offspring, this is after uh, the test has happened, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Well, that's the promise that God will fulfill. And that promise was fulfilled in Jesus. And even Jesus says, talking about again, pointing back to the fact that the New Testament is the best commentary in the Old Testament, John chapter 8 to 8, verse 56, this is Jesus speaking, says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. See, Abraham knew, had some sense that one day God would accomplish great things through him and would see the day of Jesus the Messiah coming. Your father, but the verse goes on, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. He saw it and was glad. Now there's a past, that's a phrase there that's worth probably another study or maybe a series of studies potentially. What does it mean by Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day? He saw it and was glad. Was it that God gave him a vision to see what would one day happen through his offspring? Was it that God was able to point and direct him towards the things of his son and give him a greater understanding of the Messiah who would one day come? Well, that's, as I say, worth another study for another time. But through this little passage, Genesis 22, we have Abraham being tested. We have this drama, this prophetic drama unfolding. But as we started with at the very beginning, it was all started with a promise. That gave Abraham the commitment, knowing full well that God would keep his promises, knowing full well that he was prepared to go up, knowing full well that they would both come down off the mountain, and knowing full well that God would provide another sacrifice instead of his son, knowing full well that if the sacrifice happened, God could still bring his son back from the dead, knowing full well all of these things was because Abraham knew his God and he knew that God had given him a promise. But that promise, as I said, also points forward and that promise is fulfilled in Christ, knowing that one day all nations will be blessed through Abraham's offspring. Jesus blesses us. And if you aren't a Christian here, I I really urge you to commit your life to God, to make him king of your life, knowing that he is the one who can save you from your sins, who is able to save you from death, from life, from angels, from demons, from the present, the future, any powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation. Nothing will be able to separate you then from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus.
fulfilled in Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that while at times it feels like it's an elephant in the room, one that we need to acknowledge, in fact, whenever we look at it through the light and the lens of it being starting with a promise that you made to Abraham, then we can see it not only as a test, but also as that prophetic drama that points forward to your son's death and resurrection. Father, we pray that all of us will have a real sense of Jesus' death and resurrection here tonight. And Father, if there's somebody who doesn't yet know you, we do pray that they will think upon these things and know that just as the ram, the lamb was put in place of Isaac, so Jesus can be put in their place too. Father, we pray that we will all be here knowing you as our own and personal saviour. Father, we thank you for the studer. We thank you for its commitment to praising you and to, to reading God's word together. And Father, we also thank you for that time of fellowship that we can have. And so, Father, we do pray and thank you for uh, all the things that you have provided through uh, to us tonight, that we will have a great sense of fellowship and uh, a great time together uh, chatting, maybe through this and maybe through different events of our day. So, Father, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.